Hi, I'm Bob Fisher, your host today on This is Design Intelligence. Randy Deutsch is an educator, author, international keynote speaker, AI researcher, and licensed architect. He is a senior fellow of the Design Futures Council and currently serves as a clinical associate professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign School of Architecture. On this edition of This is Design Intelligence, he talks about the benefits and opportunities of AI, the risks inherent in the technology, and the skills that will continue to be important even as AI changes the way students prepare for a career in architecture. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. Randy Deutsch, welcome to This is Design Intelligence. Thanks, Bob, for having me. Great to always talk with you. So in the, in the last 30 years or so, you've done a whole lot of different things. You've been a practicing architect. Uh, you have been a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. You've written six different books on a variety of different topics, from professional practice to technology to other topics. You are a keynote speaker very frequently and a very public thinker in the space of architecture, design, and construction. So I want to start kind of at the end and ask you, what are you most interested in now? What are you studying now? What has you fascinated now? And how did you get there? So in recent years, I'd say from the start of the pandemic, I focused on writing two books and getting them out. I spent three months writing each one. So two books in six months. And even though they were about professional practice and they were about architects and design professionals um, at the start of their career, as well as those at mid-career, really what was behind both of them was the rise of technology, artificial intelligence on the one hand, and on the other that we have these intractable, wicked problems um, that we all need to face. Yeah, everything from social justice and racial justice to you know, the the needs we have in our field for increased compensation, we have a lack of time, we have housing issues, immigration that we need to address, and of course, the climate crisis. And all these were coming together at the same time. And I wanted to look at, in a number of different ways, how we can leverage artificial intelligence to work in our favor. So that's for the last three and a half years, that's been my focus, almost exclusively. Uh, both in the book writing, but also more overtly or directly in my talks, as well as research and engagement with the public. Well, I think that for so many people, AI feels like a very new thing, even though AI has been building for quite a few years. But with the advent of ChatGPT, all of a sudden it's in the public consciousness in a way that's, uh, that's different than before. And people are trying to figure out how to get their head around it. So as someone who has been involved in this technology through a lot of its development, in what ways do you feel like AI is a benefit or will be a benefit? In what ways is it a threat? So AI is a benefit in a number of different ways, one of which I don't think we're paying enough attention to is this idea of capacity. A lot of us, especially through the pandemic and beyond, have realized both in terms of time, in terms of budget, our own personal capacity, our headspace, the demands on our time, but as well as design and construction becoming almost 
overly complex, especially when you, if you've been around for a while, you compare the, you know, the size of drawing sets 40 years ago to the size of drawing sets and what's expected today. What we are expected as design and construction professionals to rise to and address and getting buried under change orders and requests for information, supply chain issues, I can go on and on in terms of the obstacles. There's an opportunity here with artificial intelligence to try to create a space. We saw this with the rise of CAD 30 or 40 years ago. We saw this with the rise of BIM 20 years ago. And we just filled it up with busy work. We found a way not to take advantage of any productivity gains or potential gains, as is well known in almost every presentation that's given in our field. Uh, Over 60 plus years, we've made no productivity gains. With AI, there's this opportunity to do things faster and do them higher quality sooner. And there's a lot of ways we can respond You know, we could use the time to leverage our core competency. In other words, do more of what brought us to the field to begin with. We can uh, focus on improving quality. We can take on more work if we're really, you know, ambitious and entrepreneurial. We can do more for less if we want to bring our fees down. And, And also, of course, you know, the byline in our profession and industry is do more with less. And that's another opportunity. But the one that we're missing probably more than any other benefit that can come from AI is work-life integration. And this goes both for our students in terms of their mental health, giving them space and availability, but also to professionals in terms of spending more time with their family and less time, you know, just working, working, working. So AI, I think, has huge benefits. Um, I think in terms of threats, Almost everybody recognizes there's sort of, I'm just going to clump this in together in terms of intellectual property or fair use or copyright. It's the fact that administrators and firm leaders are focusing on AI use guidance and policies, you know, to try to, you know, to address what they perceive to be the threats of AI. Certainly the media is getting that message across, but what's being missed are the opportunities for leveraging AI. So again, what's being missed is asking the what if proposition. What if we can address all these issues? Then using this really powerful tool for good, what would we do with it? Not enough people are asking that question. And so while intellectual property and these other things do represent issues, we have an opportunity here to turn it around and really improve things for everybody. One more threat, potentially, is this idea, and this isn't anything new, certainly for my students teaching for at the university level for 22 years. It's this idea of agency. So in other words, I'll just use a real quick anecdote in response to the question. And that is in Design Studio, a while back in a high-rise studio, we had a team of students who had their professor stop by for a desk crit and looked over their shoulder and what was in their monitor. And the professor wasn't that wowed, wasn't that impressed with what they saw. But then the professor looked up at the wall and saw this image and said, hey, do that. That's really exciting. And it turned out one of these text-to-image tools, mid-journey, it could have been Dolly, it could have been Stable Diffusion, turned out a couple interesting images based on the prompts the students came up with. And yeah, the students, when I run into them, don't want to be reminded of this anecdote because it was a frightening moment for them. That that design didn't pass through their own 
brain, didn't pass through their sensibility, their education, what they knew. They didn't know what to do with it. The image, as beautiful and interesting as it might have been to the professors, didn't contain structure or the other side of the building and what it looked like, didn't have the vertical transportation. In other words, it wasn't a building, needless to say. And the students didn't really know how to address it at that point. So I think a threat is this idea of agency. I say it's not new because students frequently to lower their anxiety and the subjectivity of design because they're just starting off in their career, will frequently on Archetize or Arc Daily and online, they will look or shop for designs just to start somewhere, maybe to compete with their classmates. I don't know exactly what's behind it. But my peers 40 years ago did this in school as well. We just did it through the library or bookstores looking at images. The important thing is that we pass it through our brains, our sensibility, and that is a threat. Right, because the idea didn't go through that final step. I mean, everybody in creative professions takes a look at the work of others or is usually aware of the work of others, and maybe that has an influence or gives inspiration. But there is always that step where it goes through the architect or designer or creator's own mind and hands and comes out as an idea. What you're saying is is that that last step kind of cuts the creator out of what has traditionally been an important step in the creative process. True. But I would say even more importantly from an educator standpoint, and then for the firms that hire these graduating students, is if this whole process is outside, is happening outside the student's sensibility or their brain, there's an evidence that they're learning. Mm-hmm. So, so equally important, if not more important, is this idea that they have agency and they look at this a different way. So in other words, they would take that image and have it inform a direction. This is an image that wowed the professor. So now what would I come up with that's different than that image that I can actually pass through my, you know, everything I've learned up until now and my other courses, what I'm interested in, what the teammates can banter back and forth between them in a collaborative way. That is what firms want to address when they hire an employee is that capability that is within them. That said, a huge opportunity is to use AI to provide, you know, uh, to be a teammate, the fourth teammate on a teammate of three that can come up with initial suggestions. Annie Lamont, bless her heart, came up with this incredible idea called SFD, which you know, I won't use the actual words involved, but it's sloppy first draft. And I think that's a fantastic thing that AI is uh, good for. It comes up with a sloppy first draft, whether it is a paper that uh, students are writing, or whether it's a first look at a design. And as long as you treat it as a first draft, it gets you going, it gets you moving. A lot of students get immobilized because it's overwhelming to design a whole project based on a program or a competition. And it, it takes that first step for you. In a way, it almost becomes a necessary first step. So is it fair to say that what AI could be doing is creating the need for students to be less the generators of ideas, but the curators of good ideas. Absolutely. Curator, or I would call it design editor. I think that's a role that every designer goes into when they rise within an organization, whether it's a design management role or whether it's a a team leader or design, uh, associate principal of design or a project designer 
lead role. You find you can't design everything in the firm. And so frequently you're jumping from team to team or project to project and you're an editor. And one of the beautiful things I think happens is that even sooner in your career, you can work that editing muscle. And yes, you may not be the originator of the idea, but I'm here to tell you, teaching for 22 years, I don't see a great deal, not to take anything away from my students, but I don't see a great deal of truly original ideas in the sense that they come whole cloth out of the student's imagination. But in other words, almost everything's based, that's worthwhile, is based on combinatory creativity, bringing two disparate ideas together. That we see very frequently. And yeah, becoming a design editor, I think, is a direction that AI points to. And the sooner we do it, the better. So with that new dynamic in place, how is architecture and design education responding? In other words, in what other ways is AI reshaping architecture and design education? So I would say specifically at the undergrad level, where you think about it in terms of fundamentals, they're learning the basics. Uh, To use an analogy, it's uh, learning ballet before you take up jazz dance or modern dance. In some ways, you want them to be comfortable working with all the AI tools that are available to them. And it's fine for them to mess around with them. And the, and the really good news is they don't even need to take tutorials because almost anybody can use AI tools. There's a low uh, bar to entry, which is fantastic. But generally speaking, they can be misused at the undergrad level because maybe the brain isn't completely formed and judgment isn't fully developed. We do have students from time to time that instead of using Google during an exam, they'll use AI to check their answers, and that's not appropriate. But I'm here to say grad students, on the other hand, should run with the tools. In fact, in my design and construction futures class, a required class of 100 students right before they graduate in my uh, architecture program at U of I, I require students to actually write their first draft in AI and then respond to it. So again, it's less about focusing on the quote-unquote cheating, and it's more, are you prepared to enter a firm using these tools? My contention is, is that the firms that will thrive in the future are those that not only hire our graduates who excel at critical thinking and curiosity, as always in the past, as well as creativity, of course, um, but also who are AI-ready. So to the extent that we can prepare them, that in time will reshape architecture and then it will circle back and shape design education because firms will drive it. There's almost nothing a professor like I could do, no matter what my involvement. I used to be head of the grad department for three years in my program. There's very little any one individual can do to shape a entire program of architecture, let alone the whole design education field. But that said, firms have always led historically in terms of innovation in our field. And I believe design education will listen if they vote by hiring students who are AI ready. Well, there may not be as many people in firms that have as much exposure to AI-assisted design as students coming out of programs like yours. I mean, maybe the, the influence will go the other way. I know it has in other technologies. It could, but again, the bar is very low. And because we have this issue, especially through the pandemic, my observations and my research basically says 
we do have this capacity issue. And for that reason, I do believe design professionals, because there is such a low bar to use these tools, they're having the tools, needless to say, as you well know, to write proposals for them, or at least the first draft, to do marketing within the firm, and maybe even come up with some of the ideas to sort of vet design ideas. Uh, Bill Hubbard, over 30 years ago, wrote about this concept called otherwiseness. And I love that term because AI actually can address this question that we have in the field within the profession of even when we come forward with design suggestions, you come up with three schemes, the one the client specifically asked for, the one that you would espouse or put forward, and then the third one that nobody even considered that frequently is the one that everybody goes with. Even with those three schemes, we're often left with this feeling of otherwiseness and I think AI helps us to vet out, you know, from a you know climate change standpoint, from a cost, from a constructability standpoint, code standpoint, and so on. We can really vet out all of these things in the field. And for that reason, I actually think firms, if they don't take the lead, will match the AI-ready students when they're hired and students will segue really nicely into firms that have addressed AI. So we've talked a lot about new skills that students are going to, or they are adopting now and are going to need to continue to develop in the future. But when you think about skills that are currently taught in architecture and design schools and skills that were previously valued but are fading away, what does that list look like? I think there are three or four foremost skills that are at the forefront that we really need to pay attention to. And these aren't necessarily new, but in the new world of AI rising, I think these are things that we do need to look at. So one is the ability to focus. Um, So anyone who's read Cal Newport's Deep Work recognizes that the ability of focus, everybody understands it, but at the same time, we have a gap between knowing and doing. And we haven't necessarily put it into place. A lot of us get distracted. So the ability to focus and deliver insights will be first and foremost. Second law are very human skills, mindsets, attitudes. I've written about this in my book, Super Users. Everything from communication to curiosity, collaboration, and empathy needs to be played up. More specifically, while I double majored and minored in in rhetoric as an undergrad, I've never really regretted it. And right now, I'm pinching myself how happy I am that I did that. Because when you're prompt crafting within these text-to-image tools, your ability to select the right words will have a dramatic impact on what's delivered by AI. And so... You know, just a real quick example, in professional practice for 20 years, what I would teach is don't use the word fenestration when you can use the word window, something that's more relatable with the lay public. But it turns out these text-to-image tools like Midjourney and Dolly prefer fenestration because the word windows is too metaphoric or means different things to the tool. And so to the extent that these large language models deliver better results based on the way we talk to it, I think that this idea of prompt crafting or prompt engineering is going to be a skill set that we need to play up and will remain. And then lastly, the ability to ask better questions is always an ability that will never get old. So 
The ones that will go away are anything that basically architectural interns did. And I'll get to this in a second in terms of what that might mean. We sometimes disparagingly called it grunt work, uh, stuff we didn't want to do as firm leaders, rote work, busy work, repetitive work. It could be proposal writing and drafting and modeling, picking up red lines and so on. I think AI is going to address that low-hanging fruit readily soon if it's not already. And for that reason, these are things we can let go. And again, we can address our agency, we can address our capacity, and ask ourselves the better question, what would you do with the time that's available to you, given that freedom that AI will enable us? You know, one of the things I've always jokingly said is that there's no such thing as a labor-saving device. There's only an expectation-increasing device. So if we do wind up increasing the capacity, uh, what we can do uh, in professional practice, won't business models just simply shift from where they are today, the expectations that owners have and, and others who hire architecture and design firms, won't that simply shift to incorporate the new amount of uh, work that folks can do? Again, I think we're going to have an opportunity to call the shots on that one. So in other words, I think with the rise of building information model, BIM tools, whether it was Revit, ArchiCAD, Tecla, you know, Vectorworks, MicroStation, all of these tools, we would ask clients, would you prefer for us to work with these tools? We can save time and you can pass along some cost savings and maybe you pay us a little bit more. Most clients caught up pretty quickly and said, no, we don't care what tools you use so long as you deliver the project we're expecting. I think AI is going to be different because it's going to save so much time that it's going to provide, again, as I had mentioned, some capability for the firm to determine based on their values how they use that time. And so again, some will pack in more work and rise to the expectations of the owners, but others will reinvent themselves and use that time for learning new project types, new ways of doing projects, um, new project delivery methods. And some will learn it and use it to save time, um, save more capacity. So I actually don't see AI just being the same old, same old and uh, having us fall into back pat- old patterns. I think this is a, an opportunity for us to rise to the occasion and actually move the uh, profession industry forward. So what are those elements of the professional practice of architecture, engineering, design that will never go away? They will always remain with humans. It's hard. You know, as a professor, you can't look into a crystal ball, and uh, that's not what they ask us to do to predict the future. That said, there are certain things that we do that will always be needed, and that has to do with leadership, managing the budget and the process, uh, managing our leaders, but also managing our teams, uh, managing schedules. But I think probably more than anything else is this capability of stitching the individual parts, being that proverbial orchestrator that has always been something that is an important part of what the architect brings to any project or enterprise. There is nobody else who sees the big picture, irrespective of of how the design is delivered. And for that reason, I think that's going to become even more important as we start to introduce different parts of the process that may be taken up with technology. To the extent that we can become and remain better 
synthesizers of these disparate parts and tools and processes, the more value we will bring and architects will continue to be needed. The one other part that I was wondering about is the idea of being the human advocate for the other humans that are going to wind up using the building, right? Absolutely. So that no matter how sophisticated AI gets, it will never be a human. Uh, it will probably not understand what the full range of experience feels like and be able to put those pieces together in a way that helps to shape a positive experience for building users. I completely agree. I think, again, one of the, you know, maybe four different qualities I had mentioned that we need to emphasize in design education, one of them um, is empathy and the other human attributes that we need to continue to keep on top of and develop, not to buy into, you know, thinking like a, uh, you know, thinking like a robot or thinking like AI. I think it's really important that we're able to zoom in and zoom out, a quality that designers have always had, and we do that with AI as well. There's times in which we need to ask ourselves, what's the best thing in terms of the tool and what's the best thing in terms of the people who will be the end users, neighbors, but also future generations. AI is going to act, whether it's hallucinating or whether it's just a really good communicator at some point, act as though it cares about the outcome and the users. And you're exactly right. Only designers alone will be able to keep their mind on top of um, people throughout the process and make sure that's uh, that people are addressed um, and their wishes and needs are addressed. You know, architects historically, of course, um, almost goes without saying, have addressed the paying client as well as the non-paying client, the public at large, the neighbors, the building users, future generations. And that is something that will continue to be needed. Absolutely. Okay, so I've got one final question for you. If you were able to wave a magic wand so that all the stakeholders in architecture, engineering, and construction, from students all the way through, you know, owners of professional practices, building owners, whatever, if you were to help them have a healthy view of AI as it is rolling out and coming to prominence, we are clearly at the beginning of something, but as this continues to roll out, what is a healthy view that we should have toward it? The healthy view is that we all need help, whether, again, it's mental health in our students, whether it is health and well-being, whether it is work-life integration once you're out in the field. All of us need assistance. We need somebody to collaborate with, to be at our side, to sometimes just give us a push so we don't wait, you know, we don't wait to the last moment to address something. And I think AI, even right now, can serve this role. It can help us, whether it's in visuals, answering questions, anticipating the first take on everything. I've, I've rolled out a series of workshops over the last year with collaborators. And, you know, the very first workshop was actually the second workshop. The first workshop was asked to, you know, the questions that were going to be raised were asked to AI. And the answers were, as expected, not particularly enlightening. But at the same time, it kind of gave the big picture, that sense of answering the question of otherwiseness, of, you know, what potentially could come up or be addressed. You're on a podcast. Maybe you know what questions are going to be asked. You can have the first go of the podcast 
asked to AI and it, nobody would ever publish it. It wouldn't be that interesting to listen to, but at the very least, it would paint that picture, maybe the 80% response without the nuance, without the human personality. Um, I know this is a little meta to say this, but I think in everything we do, we can leverage AI with an open mind and have it help us get to that next step. Sometimes taking that first step is the hardest one, you know, cliche warning. But once we've done that, we recognize what it is we want to bring to it and add to it as a human being based on our experience, as well as our quirks, you know, what differentiates us as human beings from each other, we can bring something more to everything that we do. So I personally, in writing a five-paragraph essay in high school, would have loved to see what the generic 80% version from AI looked like, and then improved upon it based on everything I can bring to it and hand that in. Right. So it kind of gives you not really a baseline, but it kind of gives you the garden variety answer. And then from there, you know how to make it more distinguished, more special. Absolutely. And, and more targeted for what people are looking for. And then do that in real time. You know, find a way through improv, through flexibility, being, having an open mind, not going in with preconceived ideas. Yeah, you come up with your version, but if it involves other people, then you let it go. And uh, the thing that you paint in the end is really a combination that's informed from what you thought was going to happen, as well as what you bring to it. To me, I can't imagine a more exciting, profitable future than bringing those two things together. Well, Randy, we very much appreciate both your optimism and having someone like you around to help guide us through where this technology is going to take us. So thank you so much for uh, talking with us and being a great guest on This is Design Intelligence. Thanks, Bob, for having me on board. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.